0: Bye-bye. Go ahead and stand for the reading of God's Word. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we'll be starting at verse 1. We'll be going to verse 7. Apostle Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica, But concerning the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. For when they say, peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, but you, brethren, are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. Father, I just pray as we look at this extension of last time's teaching, this end-time teaching, that Father, you would show us, Lord, the necessity of where it is that we put our hope, that we would stay rooted and grounded in truth, and that, Lord, we truly would be looking at the signs. But, Father, we would be busy about doing your work, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. In the late 1980s, the musical group R.E.M. came out with a song, It's the End of the World as We Know It. In this song, they repeated that phrase over 21 times. Each time, after repeating the phrase three times, they would say, and I feel fine. Well, today in our study through the book of 1 Thessalonians, we have reached the end of the world. How fine you feel will be based upon the hope that you have within your heart where you have placed your trust. Hope, hope will be based upon belief, belief must be based upon truth. For whatever it is that you believe, the foundation of that belief has to be rooted and grounded upon truth. To believe in something that is not rooted or grounded upon truth or that you have not been convinced is truth is simply foolishness. And so We believe that the Bible is true, and our belief obviously is based upon that fact, and so that's where rests our hope or trusting in God for our future. So, what is the biblical view when it comes to the end of the world as we know it? Well, the biblical view of the end of the world is united with the biblical view of the beginning of the world. You cannot separate the two. It's got to start at your view of the beginning of the world. And if you can come to a belief in the beginning, God, then at the end, you will not have distress. At the end, you will not have worry. So the beginning of the world, it is united with the end of the world. What is it that sets our end-time views apart from the world's end-view times? End-time views we know that the same God who created it is the same God who is going to end it. And that God, that God is our Father. And we are His children. And so we're fitting in with His plan. And He's going to watch over us and He's going to keep us. Anybody that has passed away beforehand, and that was addressed last week, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But God's people is are included in that plan, that plan of the end of the world. The world believes that we all will evolve over a period of time and it's just a continuation of what has been happening of millions upon millions and millions of years. But the hope in that is that things are evolving and things are getting better. But there's bad news for delusional people. Things are not getting better. Things are getting worse. Things are not winding up. Things are winding down. Things are winding down and it, you just can't be ignored. Again, look at humanity and the sinful nature of man. Certain things just aren't going away. They're just not going to. It seems like every week we're having to deal with racism still. are we past that by now? But apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, man is always going to exalt himself. And he's going to use whatever external means he can do that. And if it's the color of skin, he'll try to exalt himself by the color of his skin or just whatever differences may exist. Again, it just seems like constantly have to deal. We're constantly backing up and having to deal with issues that we thought that we had dealt with before. I look at society and all the things that are going on in our society. I look at things across the world. How come we're still at wars? When are wars going to end? Well, it's not going to end. Matter of fact, you look at creation, everything is in a state of regression. Things are definitely not in a state of progression. But this is how Jesus said it would be. There was one day he was sitting on the Mount of Olives and he was overlooking the temple. And in Matthew chapter 24, verses 4 through 13, it says, Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. Don't be deceived in this matter. This is going to be Jesus' discourse on end times. It says in verse 5, For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. Well, how many times is it that we have somebody pops up who claims to be Christ, claims to be Messiah? Happens all the time. Verse 6, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Description of our society today. Not only wars, but are we going to war against North Korea? Are we going to war against Iran? There's wars and there's rumors of wars flying all over the place today. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. Earthquakes, we've always had earthquakes, but it so seems as we're getting earthquakes more in more populated areas, it's getting our attention. It's as if the Lord's tapping us on the shoulder pestilences, there's diseases that we've never heard of. Every year it seems like there's something new that pops up, Ebola. I mean, you probably heard of Ebola before, but it was just buried so far back in your memories that it just, well, it just doesn't make any difference to me. Matter of fact, some old ones are popping up, smallpox and even polio and, and all of these things are just not going away. And then famines, look at our state. Our state is going through one of the worst droughts that it has ever gone through. But I look at our state. I look at the state of our state. I just made that up. I look at the state of our state. And the state of our state, spiritually speaking, isn't good. Now what happens when the state of the state wasn't good in the Old Testament? What did God withhold? He withheld the rain. He's wanting his people to wake up. He's wanting his people to understand that he's in control. He's wanting his his people to look and to see the signs. Verse 8. And all these are the beginning of sorrows. Why? Because the day of the Lord has yet to come. I'll go over that in a minute. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Now, who's he talking to? He's talking to the apostle, but in essence, he's talking to Christians. And you can look at these things even a few years ago and say, well, that's not happening to us, but we're not that far from it in our nation here today. We see that the worst plague, again, if you were an alien from outer space, you landed here, and you saw, well, what's the worst thing that can happen to a nation? Christianity, because this nation, they hate Christianity. They reject Christianity. And you look at some of the things that they're receptive of, it's just an amazing thing, which really wouldn't make sense when you see the goodness that comes out of Christianity. But nonetheless, where's the priority of the world? We're not that far from being delivered up to uh, tribulation and and kill you, and you will be hated by all for my namesake. We might even be there today. And then many will be offended and betray one another and will hate one another that many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. Again, we've got that on the TV channel all over the place. Verse 12, And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold, but he who endures to the end will be saved. Why? Because true saving faith is enduring faith. We are to continue steadfastly in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, regardless of what is going on around us. Things are not going to evolve better They're going to degrade to such a degree that, well, things are going to be worse than they ever have been. But nonetheless, we continue steadfast serving the Lord Jesus Christ. So the Bible tells us that it was God who established the earth's origin. And it only makes sense that it will be God who will orchestrate his conclusion. Again, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, it says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burnt up. When we studied through 2 Peter, and we're probably going to get there again maybe in a year or so, we saw that the elements will be burnt up. That It speaks of a nuclear reaction. Now, the only... Element that we're able to cause a nuclear reaction is, in my understanding, is uranium or plutonium. And I think plutonium is a byproduct of uranium. If you want more information on that, (laughs) talk to somebody who knows what he's talking about. But nonetheless, that's the only atom that we're able to split. And look at the energy that is released. Well, who is he who's able to split any atom? It's God. And so there's going to come a time when God is going to do away with this earth. How's he going to do it? He's going to split the atom, he's going to release. Release the energy from all atoms. And really what's going to happen is there's going to be just that instantaneous, instantaneous destruction of the building blocks, the elements of the earth, and the earth will be done away with. And so just as truly as God spoke it into existence, God is going to speak it away. So the Apostle Paul, I'm sorry, Apostle Peter, then says something very profound to the biblically based person. Again, in chapter... uh, 2 Peter 3, verse 10, he speaks of the destruction of the earth. But then in the very next verse, verse 11, therefore, because that's going to happen, since all these things will be dissolved, there's no argument about it to the born-again believer, what manner of persons ought you to be? Because God has saved you from the destruction, and because all of these things, all of the things of the world and all the things of the flesh are going to be done away with, what kind of person ought you to be? Ought you to be a person of the flesh or the world, or ought you to be the person of the Spirit? And it's just as we're talking about here with this family standing before you, love their God with all of their heart, with all of their soul, and all of their might. And that expression of that has got to filter through to the generations because it shows them of the proper priorities of all of the things and stuff and commercials and all this deluge of the flesh and the world that is constantly, uh, they're constantly being bombarded with. And so Paul's purpose here back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he wants to make sure, he wants to make sure that we understand, and we saw it last week or a couple weeks ago in chapter 4 verses 13 through 18, he wants us to understand death, that there is going to be death because the Lord's timetable is going to be sometime in the future. But as today, there's newborn, there's the newborn, but there's also going to be those to die. But he also says, verse 13, "I don't want you to be ignorant concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as those who have no hope." And so he's offering hope in the midst of the death of men and women who are believers. Why? Because God's timetable is not fulfilled, but also just as surely as he offers them hope, secondly, also life for those who are here at the end, during the end days, the last times, and that's what we'll be speaking about here today. Now, in order to get our terms straight, there are a series of terms that we need to know to get a proper understanding of eschatology or the study of the last times. The first theological term is the day of man. This is a term that is not found in the Bible but has been developed by man to describe the times that we are in. The days of man. What does the day of man be? God's given me freedom. He's given me freedom to make my choices. I can receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, or I can refuse Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I can live a life that glorifies God, or I can live a life that glorifies myself. This is the day of man, a time in which we are, well, God is always in control, make no mistake about it, but God gives us a lot of leeway. And then there's going to be a time and a moment in the twinkling of an eye. It's the day of Jesus Christ. This would be the rapture of the church. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, being confident of this very thing, that he who has began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. After the rapture of the church is going to be the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord starts right after the rapture of the church. It's when the tribulation starts. It includes the second coming of Christ, the millennial rule age, the white throne judgment, and then the destruction of the earth. And then lastly, very lastly, is the day of God. This is when a new earth is created, a new heaven and a new earth. We see this in Revelation chapter 21. So, what we're going to have here in Paul's lesson, this is the lesson on the day of the Lord, is really a collision, a collision of the thoughts of man. And it's going to be a three-way collision, chronologically, mythology, and theology all crashed together. Chronology, chronology, mythology, and theology. Those three terms are going to be the center of our study here this morning. Unfortunately, there are libraries filled to the hilt with writings of end times events that would fit under one of those three categories. There are some books that were well respected. There was one book, name escapes me right now it'll come to me in the beginning of another thought but nonetheless uh, some of them that seem so profound at the time very interesting but they've been proven to be fallacy there's a lot of fantasy out there when it comes to end times because there's a lot that the bible simply tells us that we do not know chronology we don't know the dates Nobody knows the dates. And what are people constantly doing? They're constantly predicting the date of the rapture of the church or the end of the world or whatever. And what has happened to everybody who has tried to predict a date? He's been found to be a fool because the Bible tells us nobody knows. Now, if the Bible says nobody knows, then who knows? Nobody, nobody. So anybody to try to guess a date is just a fool. Now, you can look at the signs of the time and understand that more than likely we're close. We know we're closer than we were before, but stop trying to guess. And if somebody guesses, they're wrong. Jesus said when he was on earth, I don't know. It's only been given to my Father who is in heaven. So if Jesus didn't know while he was here, then you will not know as well. But unfortunately, there's libraries, again, filled to the hilt with guesses and estimations. Worst of all, most will include elements of all three, chronology, mythology, and theology. They kind of dress it up real well, but they've been found to be wrong. Late great planet Earth was the thing I was trying to remember. I told you in the middle of another thought it will come. That's what happens when you're ADD. Um, Lay great planet earth, you know, helicopters as grasshoppers and, and, you know, and all of these things. And yeah, pointed us in a good direction. But nonetheless, you could go through a lot of those points and a lot of those points even today have been proven to be false. And so today, man continues to gaze into his end time crystal ball, trying to figure out what God has not given him to figure out. But Paul starts out telling us that we should know better because there's no such thing as an end time crystal ball. The only thing we've been delivered is the word of God. And it's the word of God that we hold dear. It's the word of God that our belief is built upon. And that's where we gain our hope, not in the guesses of man or somebody with a lot of letters after his name that's got some sort of degree or even the scientist. It's all built upon God. And again, God was seated upon the throne at the beginning, and God is going to be seated upon the throne at the end. So when it comes to chronology, verse 1, but concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. Times and seasons, yeah, Paul should not have to go into this because Jesus made it very clear so long ago. Jesus made it clear what was first spoken of in the Old Testament. What was spoken of in the Old Testament? That God is sovereign over times. Matter of fact, we're going to see it at some point in our study in Isaiah on Sunday night, that it's God who inhabits eternity. We've got to understand that God is beyond the constraints of time. He exists in the future, even right now. And again, that's a good thing for you and I. Why? Because you're going into next week. I mean, unless you drop dead today, you're going into next week. What's going to happen next week? I don't know. And we can look at all the evil that's out in the world. We can look at all the terrorists and even the the the, the, the local terrorists and, and just every the accidents that can happen and, and health issues and all of these things. And you start thinking about it, and you're not going to leave your house. You're going to be cowering in the corner somewhere. But if I know that I'm just entering into whatever it is that God has for me, I can go in with a boldness there. I can enter into my week with all assurance that my life is in the hands of God, and well, if that's true, then I enter in with a boldness. So again, the Old Testament, Daniel chapter 2, verse 21, it says, And he changes, and the Lord changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. So have understanding in these end times that they're into into the hands of the Lord, and just find a peace with that. Continue on in your life and raising your family and going to your job because we're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks because some of the people have bailed out of their jobs thinking they were living in the end times. But since nobody knows the days, just continue moving forward in the Lord Jesus Christ, honoring him in all that you do. But then speaking to directly to the church, turn over real quick to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, this just summarizes it all perfectly for us when it comes to chronology, when it comes to days, times, and seasons. Because at the beginning of the church, there was this issue. The apostles were concerned about the days and the times and the seasons. It says in verse 6, Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Will you restore the things that have been promised from the old time from the from the past times? And really what they're talking about is eschatology because they're talking about the establishment of God's kingdom here on earth apart from the church. They're wanting the Lord to expel Rome, but Lord, no. He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons. So, church, listen, it's not for you to know times or seasons, which the Father has put in His own authority. He's telling them, don't concern yourself with those things. And so, okay, you're an apostle, you're there. Okay, so I'm not, what am I to worry about? Verse 8, but you. And that's a big term right there. But you, church. He's speaking to the church. He's speaking to the church throughout all the ages. Don't worry about the days and the end times, but you. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, until the end of the earth. Go and preach the gospel. If you're concerned about the end times, you've got to be concerned about the people who are alive during the rapture and the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Two different events, seven years apart. But you must be concerned. And if you're truly concerned about them, it's going to manifest itself in the preaching of the gospel. I mean, look at us today. We're on the previous side, of or, or the uh, before side of the, the rapture of the church. If you're really concerned about it, go and preach the gospel so that others will go and be saved with you, go and be raptured with you. And... He points that out very emphatically, but you, which the Holy Spirit or when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses he's made it's not y'all there it's you it's you he's making it very personal. This is what you are to do. Don't sit there and write books that are full of guesses, be rooted and grounded in the book that the Lord has written, and being obedient in it, going forth and making disciples so as we do not know exact times or dates, we do see the signs of their coming so that we would be prepared, and I think even prepared, that we would be motivated in what we've been called to do. Times. Times refers to a chronological time, to clock time, or to calendar time. So don't try to guess next week, next month, or next year, because the fact of the matter is you simply don't know. Seasons. It views times in terms of events, eras, or seasons. And so, you look at the people who are up here, really three generations up here. I probably should start putting myself in a different generation from people who are in their 20s and 30s. I do so begrudgingly, but nonetheless, I have to face reality. And so, is it coming during my lifetime? Well, he could come at any moment, but I look at Matt and Sarah, maybe during their lifetime. They've got many more years than I have, but... Well, how about those kids? How about in their lifetime? How about Benjamin, you know, this little guy just a couple of years old? Is he coming in his lifetime? I don't know. Nobody knows because we do not know the times, nor do we know the seasons, as we do not know of when these things will happen. But we do have these signs that we are to pay attention, and we are told to watch. And the biggest sign that could possibly be given has already come to pass. You should be able to look on a map and see that sign when you see the borders of Israel. Israel, there's a nation that has ceased to exist for almost 2,000 years. Think of the miracle here. Any other nation that has been completely decimated has never been gathered together. Israel, it's happened three times. And again, this last time, you need to see the hand of God here. This last time, they have been well, they ceased to exist as a nation for almost 2,000 years. And then there came that time. Well, how could God allow World War II to happen? I, I just finished uh, uh, reading a novel, Killing Hitler. No, no, I'm sorry, Killing Patton. It was about World War II, and it spoke of all the things. You know, it was a very interesting book. And you just see all the atrocities that happened. And we're well familiar with all that stuff. And you can say, how can a loving God allow something like that to happen? Well, the Bible tells me all things work together and God's working and he's doing a plan. And so in 1948, there's the United Nations and there's a lot of guilt for what they allowed to happen to the Jews. And so that was a motivation that I believe that God used for the reestablishment, May 1948, of nation Israel. It's a miracle. This is a miracle. It's never happened in the history of the world before anything of that magnitude with a nation that has been completely destroyed, decimated, and cast to the wind. They've been gathered back together. And ever since they've been gathered back together, there's been nothing but tribulation there. Now, who could care less about Israel? How insignificant is that? But God has placed his affection there. And as God has placed his affection there, man's attention is always going to be directed there. And even today, how can Israel possibly exist? I've used the example of, think of California as Israel. Now, what happens to California if you had all of these surrounding nations that wanted us uh, wiped off the map? What what if Oregon was against us? What if Idaho and, and Nevada and Arizona and Mexico, what if they were all, you're surrounded by all of that, well, flat out hate, but God has kept them, and God will keep them. And so what he's saying is, look at that as a sign, because... Well, it's a problem that the traditional church has had for many years. See, a lot of the interpretations of the early church concerning prophecy and eschatology, they're incorrect because they had a major problem. Israel did not exist. And if you look at eschatology, Israel's got to exist as a nation. And so before 1948, they were trying to base all of their studies of end-time theology upon the fact that Israel didn't exist, and some of them have held on to those things even today, saying that, well, all those promises and everything that God made, he didn't make to Israel, he made to the church in actuality. Well, I can understand where that would come from because, again, Israel didn't exist. But lo and behold, Israel does exist. They exist today, and they are a nation that is strong, And they are a nation that is powerful. And I like what Netanyahu said a couple of weeks ago when he was addressing our, our Congress. He spoke on the Holocaust and he said, this can never happen again. We will never stand for this again. Why? Because I believe that the Lord has placed that in their hearts because we are living in the end times because we look and we see that this is a legitimate sign. Luke chapter 21, verses 29 through 33 Jesus, he spoke to them a parable, look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they are already budding, you see and know for yourselves that summer is now near. So also when you see these things happening, know that the kingdom of God is near. And surely I say to you, this generation, the generation who is around at the reestablishment of Israel will by no means pass away till all things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away but my words will by no means pass away. Now, I'm not going to get into all the details here. We just don't have time. But he was speaking of Israel, and he was speaking about the reestablishment of Israel. He says the leaves are budding. Now, there's no fruit because they've rejected Jesus Christ as their Messiah. Nonetheless, here is a healthy tree. What's the most prosperous nation in the Middle East? Israel. Israel has had the greatest influence of any country in that area, technologically speaking, in the whole, over the whole world. And, and you see, again, that God's hand is upon this nation. And, and the reason I keep repeating this is because we need to see this to understand that God is in control, and God's word is going to come to pass. And this is a sign that I see, and it's a sign that I personally, we and all, we all need to hold dear. Now, Israel, don't, don't get me wrong, they need to be evangelized. Nobody is going to get into heaven just because they're a Jew. They need to have the gospel preached. But this is a nation that God has set his love upon so that we would understand the powerfulness of his hand and that we would see this even during the dark days. We would see this as, well, again, so many nations coming up against Israel, but God will not allow it. Now, when it comes to chronological, this is all we get. We just get signs. We don't get any dates. We don't get any times. Next is fantasy, verses two and three. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. Peace and safety. Again, thinking things that are going to get better. It's just fantasy. It's fantasy apart from the knowledge of the Lord because things are not going to get better. The fantasy really lies in the belief that we can make ourselves to be ready at the last minute, Or, as the Beatles sang, I got to believe it's getting better. It's getting better all the time. It couldn't get much worse. Well, that was written in the 60s. I got bad news, John, Paul, whoever wrote it. It's gotten worse. It's gotten worse. Now, we can say it's gotten better with the technological advances, but again, these things, these diseases and whatnot that we believe, that we had believed past tense, that we had eradicated, they're still springing up. They're still springing up, and still things are not getting better. Again, in the 60s, there was so much hope and, and whatnot. What man was able to do, it landed a guy on the moon. I mean, we had a lot of electronic breakthroughs come about from that. But again, things haven't really gotten better. And the Bible tells me that they're not. Matter of fact, this day is going to happen as a thief in the night. We just heard that a little bit earlier. It's the same thing Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, when he spoke of the destruction of the earth. This is going to come upon you as a thief in the night. Now, what's so unsettling about a thief in the night? Well, first of all, you're unprepared for it. You're unprepared. You're vulnerable, you're defenseless, and you're unalert. You're asleep. You're asleep. It's happening at a time when you least expect it. And even worse than that, you're physically unable to do anything. Secondly, a thief in the night, it's unexpected. My truck got broken into quite a few years ago. I was in construction and I had a big service truck, but I also had a little Toyota truck because gas and all that. And so I would take select tools out of my truck and put them in the front seat of my little truck and just use that if I had to go driving around checking on jobs or whatever. Well, one night I got a knock on the door about three o'clock in the morning. My wife kicks me. Somebody's knocking at the door. So throws me out of bed. And and some guy says, yeah, you know what? I was driving by and the glass on your truck is broken and it looks like somebody broke in. And I went out there and I checked it out and I was surprised. I was ill prepared. Somebody had gotten a big rock through through my window and stole all the tools that I had in the front of the truck. It was about $2,500 worth of tools there. But you know what he didn't do? He didn't call me the day before and say, Mike, Just want to let you know, sometime about four, I got you on my calendar, I'm going to be swinging by and throwing a rock through your window and, and grabbing the tools that you keep out there. Because he knew if I did that, I'd be in the front of the truck ready for him. I'd be there waiting, but I didn't know. And so I wasn't prepared. So we have a thief in the night. A thief in the night, you're unprepared. It's unexpected. And lastly, it's unwelcome. It's unwelcome because, well, You don't like it when things like that happen to you. It's unwelcome because i worked hard for those things. It's unwelcome because I need those things. Notice how this fits in with the five foolish virgins of Matthew chapter 25. They were unprepared. They didn't have any oil in their lamps. Well, the bridegroom, he came at a time when they did not expect him to, and his coming was unwelcome. They were kept out of the wedding because they weren't prepared. Verses 3 and 4. For when they say peace and safety, and we'll get into that when we get into Second Thessalonians a little deeper. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. I understand labor pains. Let me tell you. I can tell you all about them. I've experienced them three different times. I didn't experience the pain part, but just I was there and overseeing and, and taking notes about it. I mean there I was. I was fast asleep. I had plans for the next day. My wife, when we went to bed, she didn't tell me I'm going to go into labor tonight. I usually require some sort of notice if somebody's going to take up in time, even a whole day, but she didn't do that. And so there was that time. We were dead asleep. It was in the middle of the night, whatever time it might have been. And then there was the kick to my back once more. This is it. Well, I thought they were Braxton Hickerson's or whatever they're called you know because she had been having those things all week long but no this was the time and she knew it it's time and it's just one of those times when you're sitting there and I don't know how fast your heart beats when you're sleeping but I imagine it beats pretty slowly and it goes from zero to a hundred miles an hour it's what it's time it was sudden it was sudden and it was unexpected now I'm talking mostly about my son, Sean, because actually the twins, I was at work when the twins were born. Chelsea came in the middle of the night as well. But when Sean was born, all of a sudden, my heart's beating 100 miles an hour. And it was from that point that my life was changed for the next, I don't know how many years it's been, but 30 years, oh, about 32, 33 years, about 33 years. My life has been changed unexpectedly because you never can understand the degree that a child will alter your life. And so just as these labor pains, when they say peace and safety and sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman and they shall not escape. I don't know if she's here. I saw a pregnant woman that even came in here just uh, about an hour ago. They're coming. The pains are coming and there's nothing you can do to avoid them. It's going to happen and they're going to hurt. Now, when the child comes out, for some reason, it seems to overcome all of that, but I'm surprised any woman ever has two children, but they do. As labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape, but you, again, there's that direct addressing of the born-again believer, but you, brethren, speaking to Christians, are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. Why? Because this is for those people who are living their life in darkness. And notice the contrast here. There is a a verse 3, they, for when they say peace and safety. But in verse 4, but you, there's a stark contrast that is here. This is not what Jesus Christ has for us. Why? Because just as surely as, well, as that day is going to come, the day of the rapture, the day of the Lord is going to come as well. But for the born-again believer today, we're not going to experience the day of the Lord because we walk in the light. As we walk in the light, the Lord is going to take us unto himself. The Lord is going to keep us. And so you've got to make the determination, which are you? Are you the they or are you the you? Because I'm looking at the signs. There's the biggest one, Israel's in existence. And as I see that, Again, Matthew chapter 24, I'm seeing a lot of the things that the Lord's spoken of are falling into place. Pastor Mike, are you making a prediction? Yeah, I'll make a prediction. The Lord's coming. When? I don't know. But He's coming. He's coming back for His church. And if you're dependent upon making that change when the Lord comes, it says He's coming for His church in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. The idea is, is that our decision will be made before His coming. And so we have the chronology, no one knows the time. We have mythology, well, those are for those who aren't rooted and grounded in God's truth. And we have the theology, or God's doctrines working in you and through you. And that was my point in Deuteronomy chapter 6 on the dedication that we just had. The absolute worst thing that you can do as a parent is to come to church if you're not willing to live Christ in your life, come to church and not act like a Christian because those little children, they're looking up to you as, as, as who a Christian man is. They're looking up to the wife and who a Christian woman is. And if they see, well, a Christian man and a Christian woman is somebody who goes to church, sits there and we get home and act like a heathen, they're going to not want any part of that. And that does the greatest damage to a young soul. It's to live in the light and to stay in the light, to understand the truthfulness of God's word and see that work worked out through us. Verses 4 and 7. But you, brethren, you're not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief, so that these things would come upon you and you're ill-prepared. For you are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, or because of that, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. The idea is sober-minded. When you hear the predictions, when you hear the the fantasy and the fallacy or the chronological guesses that are out there and all of these things, be sober-minded about it. Understand the word and know the word and understand the truthfulness of predictions that are made. For those who sleep, sleep at night and those who get drunk are drunk at night. They're living in the dark. They're living in the dark age. So what is your identity? We've got our identity spelled out for us just even in this book. What is our identity? We'll look at first Thessalonians chapter one, verse three. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, and patience of hope. Then over in verse nine, for they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, and how you turned to God from idols, that you serve the living and true God and wait for his son. And then over in chapter 4, again, verse 13, do not sorrow as those who have no hope. Trust in God for your future based upon the light that is to shine in your life today. So this coming week, the proof of who you are will be seen in the proportion of the light within you. And I'm not talking about me coming over to your house and doing a light examination. I'm talking about you looking in the mirror looking in the mirror and seeing Christ in your life, knowing that I remember the dark days. I remember going into those dark bars. I remember going into those dark porn places. I remember going into that whatever darkness it is that you used to live in. But I also understand that look what Christ has done in my life. Again, you speaking to yourself and understanding these things are real in your life. That as I look in the mirror, I see the light of what God has done. I don't see a perfect person. But I see the light what God has done, and from that, my hope is strengthened, because the God who stood, who sat on the throne at creation is the same God that sits on the throne of my life today and will be seated upon the throne at the earth's destruction. In Genesis chapter one, verses three through four, and God said, "Let there be light and there was light." And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. That's my testimony. Is that your testimony? God said, let there be light, and light entered into my life. And and it wasn't for me. This this is something, as, as I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, that God now dwells inside of me. He said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, and in the sight of God, it was a good thing. It's a very good thing. And what did God then do? He divided the light from the darkness. He divided that old life and put it in my past, and now... I live this life in light in the Lord Jesus Christ. Just as light overcomes darkness in the beginning, it still will every day of your Christian life. Without the light shining forth from a believer's life, he becomes void and without form. 1 Peter two nine. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Look into the mirror that is God's word. What do you see in your life? Do you see darkness or do you see light? If it's darkness, the one who's able to alter the world is the one who's able to alter your life. Seek him out. Believe with your heart and you will be saved. Father, once again, we just thank you for your word, Lord, that guides us in so many ways. And Father, again, in time theology, it just generates so much excitement. But, Father, that's not excitement for the future. That's excitement for today. Based upon what you will do, Lord, we need to see what you're able to do even today. And so, Father, I just pray for our lives that we would truly live a life in the light. That, Father, we would glorify you. Living a life in the light is just living a holy Christian life in obedience to the Lord. And so, once again, Father, as we, well, it's a decision that we have to make. Again, as I said before, this is the day of man. You give us the opportunity to either follow you in your ways or to follow ourselves in our own ways. Father, I just pray for those who are the hearers here today. Based upon the future and based upon the destruction of the world, I pray, Father, that every person here would truly check their lives. Are you ready? Are you prepared? Are you prepared if the Lord would come back for his church today? The Lord wants you to know that if he raptured the church today... You would go or you wouldn't go. Which is it? We make the decision through our hearts, either opening them to the Lord or closing them to the Lord. The Bible tells us if we confess the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, that we'll be saved. And you need to focus upon that saved word because man from the womb has been born into darkness. That sinful nature, he's been headed for destruction. But the Lord, the Lord has come so that we would have life and that we would have life more abundantly. And again, everybody that Christ calls, he calls in a public manner. And so he's calling even today. He's calling even today as the world will be judged that we are to avoid that judgment by coming into his glorious family. And this is something, again, that if you're hearing today and the Lord has convicted you, it's something that occurs within your heart. It's not about raising a hand or saying a prayer or anything along those lines. It's simply receiving your free salvation that Jesus offers to you today to make that decision for the Lord. And if you have made that decision for the Lord, if you've made it here this morning, we do ask for a raising of the hand. Again, not for salvation, but because of salvation, that that would be a witness for what the Lord has just done in your life. If there's anybody here, there's anybody here who wants to dedicate their life to the Lord, maybe you need to come back to the Lord. Raise your hand. I see your hand here to my left I see yours in the back is there anybody else based upon these things that's why the Lord gives us these this end time theology so that we would understand it's all about today don't pass up this chance is there anybody else again this is if God is speaking to you you don't do it for anybody else's benefit but your relationship with the Lord if you're in the overflow area you can lift your hand there God sees it between you and the Lord Okay, you can put your hands down. Father, you see these hands that have gone up before you, and I pray, Father, for those people who have raised them. And I thank you, Lord, that they were receptive to your word in this changed life, Father, that you so freely offer mankind. That, Lord, you would fill them with your spirit. That, Lord, you would enable them to be light in their families, light in their neighborhoods, in the workplace, wherever it is that you send them. And so, Father, I pray and I thank you, Father, for their witness here today and their boldness in raising their hands. I pray, Father, that they would be able to do that, or as they were able to do that here, they would do that in so many other areas that they would truly allow their light to shine. But, Father, I pray that that would motivate us as well, that, Lord, as we leave this place, you have called us to go forth and to make disciples. And so, Lord, may we be busy about that work. To your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You all stand, please.